when you listen to the show, if we are wrong or we don't know what we're talking about, that is perfectly fine. And you can correct us anywhere you want on Twitter, on Instagram, or on Facebook. You can find us at Not A Historian Podcast or at Not Historians. That's fine because we just jump on the internet, go to the library, talk to people, watch some interviews, and do the basic research we can just to show that two average Joes can do it. Exactly. We're not historians. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, maybe he walked around with jelly beans. That's what it is. Maybe he walked around with jelly I think beans so. I think he, and he was at the crime scene and stuff and be like, nah, see, nah, I got these jelly beans, see, nah. We're just two dudes that came up with an idea and we said we should know more about the everyday world around us, like why are beer bottles the shape they are. In 1930, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives, in an effort to alleviate the effects of the, anyone, anyone, the Great Depression. Get ready to take notes, boys and girls. It's another edition of the Not Historians Podcast, with your hosts, Desmond Dunn and Shalom Agulana. Hi, I'm Shalom. I'm Desmond. And we are joined today by a very special guest. Let them know who you are, guest. This is the TOEF. I'm the host of the Gravity Beard Podcast. That's right. Excellent. He has been gracious enough to join us here today. Uh, he runs a podcast, if you haven't heard it. Uh, interviews, stories, slice of life type of stuff. Um, why don't you give him a little rundown about what you do? Yeah, that, that was actually a really good summary, probably better than I could do myself. But but yeah, it's, uh, we cover a variety of topics with a variety of guests. We've had uh, former former child actors. We've had YouTube stars. Uh, I'm going to come out with an episode in the next few weeks that actually with a, a guy that you have cited on your show, your last episode, Mixter Hyde, oh. who, who, who you should check out Mixter Hyde on Twitter or, or his, um, or his webpage because, uh, he's a fascinating guy. He, he, he's a, he's a children's teacher. He's authored three children's books and he's a professional merman. So, uh, that's the kind of people that I, I, I like to seek out the most interesting, uh, people I can for my show, people you're not necessarily going to come across yourself. Right. And then we'll get into other topics that aren't necessarily interviews. You know, we've we've discussed hypotheticals, we've discussed the Mount Rushmore of comedy, uh, and those types of stuff. It, it it always surrounds some sort of interview or, or group discussion. That's that's kind of the basis of the show. Cool, awesome. Uh, so today we have a really interesting topic. It is historical because it, it's one of the few unsolved, few major cases out there. I guess that hangs over the, in pop culture and pop history for me. Uh, do you guys know about B.D. Cooper? What did you know about B.D. Cooper before we said this is what we're going to do? Well, just just to jump off of what you just said, it's actually the only uh, airline piracy case that's never been solved. Right. Right. And I actually love the fact that he actually was an air pirate. That's his actual crime is air piracy. Oh, yeah, that's true. I think, and you know, I, I, um, I have limited knowledge of this, of this topic prior to, you know, starting the research. Uh, what I knew about the about the topic about DB Cooper was that uh, it was an air uh, air hijacking that was successful. So, and it also prompted uh, many other copycat uh, hijackings, but none of the ones that I read about were actually successful. Uh, there was one. Well, I take that back. There was a, there, which I'm sure we'll get into. There were a couple that were successful, right. but they they kind of turned themselves in, for lack of a better term, because of uh, stupidity. <laughs> okay, so you're saying they got caught because they weren't B.D. Cooper. That's correct. All right. I'll take that. Yeah, that, that's the interesting thing is that is that there was – it happened in 1971. Uh, it was in the news uh, for you know, for a couple of years. Then it kind of died off. 
And then it was interest was resurrected in 1980. And then again, not really much happened. The case, it was an open case file by the FBI for 45 years. Yeah. Uh, and was actually just closed last summer. Yeah. And then, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but then some new stuff came up this past January. So it, it's kind of, it's, it was interesting that it was only picked up a couple of times over a 45 year period, but for being such a fascinated case, you know, people just kind of let it go. Yeah. And I, I think one of the most interesting aspects for me is it really shows like how modern or contemporary history with mass media and internet and all this, it plays into all those. Cause it goes from the age of like, you can carry a bomb on a plane yeah. into the age of internet sleuth can find out all this stuff and have access to work together. So it really spans like yeah. from the pre digital age into now from that innocent Americana time to now. What I think is interesting, maybe most of all is, uh, DB Cooper didn't exist. Dan Cooper. That's the name he used to buy the ticket. He bought the ticket as Dan Cooper. The news service, the Newswire, whoever, Associated Press, sent out a message that said uh, D.B. Cooper because that was the name of an actual suspect they had in, like, in the area. Right. Dude was not the right guy, but the report had already gone out. And by that time, it, the cat was out of the bag and he was forever D.B. Cooper. And they didn't want to write a retraction. Well, that's right. Yeah. Kid Rock was already writing a song. So, you know. Kid Rock. <laughs> and, and then, of course, then, of course, the... Um the, the the sketch the sketch of the of the suspect you know has has been has been passed around so many times to me to me it looks like some kind of cross between like Kevin Spacey or John Hamm <laughs> it does yeah. have a real Kevin Spacey look to it uh, yes. like that's Kaiser Sose that's the that's the that's right. the one it posted for Kaiser Sose a I lot think, of people say John Hamm but but I'm, I as soon as I saw the no. picture I was like that's totally that's totally Kaiser Sose no no his face is too narrow and he's not handsome enough for that that's definitely he's a little bit older is definitely yeah. I think uh, what was funny to me too about it is that has to be the second most of all, all the, like you guys see wanted posters, like they use them for album covers or for posters or for whatever, any, this and the Unabomber, right? And Zodiac Killer, maybe. Like that's the oh, yeah, three most popular. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a poster, uh, a profile sketch more than this one, except for maybe Unabomber with the hood and the Jerry Curl and the glasses. Yeah. That's. That's that's a bit disturbing, but yeah, good point. But I, well, I mean, it was just a random person. My personal take on it was, this guy is really a part of American culture. Like DB Cooper, the story of DB Cooper is like the classic bandit that got away with it yeah. that everyone can love because he didn't actually hurt anyone. Well, right, and I think that that's some, and I'm sure we're going to get into that. But one thing I wanted to mention is, or ask the question of of you guys is, do, do we feel like this guy deserves to be caught? At this point, I mean, do we want him to get caught or do we want to solve this crime or do we want to solve this mystery just so we can go on having uh, we can say that a mystery is solved again in the books? I don't know. Well, I, I guess my answer to that would be it, it seems like human nature is, is that we love the conspiracy theory. Right. And well, so this this is among the most classic conspiracy theories out there, whether it be the JFK assassination or, uh, you know, or this story or what's what's the other one that um what's another real popular Roswell. conspiracy yeah these types of things so on one hand you know your curiosity you know makes you really want to know what happened for real right. on the other hand that then you know and then and then boredom sets in and there's no more interest so so i, I think it's probably a mix it, it's mixed emotions you know do, do you want to know what happened because then you know uh but then you don't have the conspiracy there because that's what makes stories like this run wild is, is it never gets solved it's an open case for for half a century and and it, it kind of feeds itself. I think you're exactly right. For me, the the mystique of it is actually the fact that 
I think in a way we're all okay either way. If mm. he fell out, if he fell out the plane into the into the cold dark and died, good. He was a, he was an air pirate. But if he got away with it, man, did he ever earn it? Like you know, man, yeah. That's that's the thing. Is like and like he was saying, you know, you you can't just shut the book on it because there's no hard evidence either way. There's lots of clues. That's what makes it so interesting to look at. But you just never know what the dude really did. Right. Well, I think I think if he was. You know, he he conducted himself in such a cordial way, right? And 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 no one was injured, no one was killed. You know, he took he took two hundred thousand dollars in nineteen seventy one dollars, which is equivalent to a million two, right? In two thousand sixteen dollars, so you know, whatever. So so he stole a bunch of money, but but he also pulled off one of the coolest crimes in the history of the United States. And so you're like, ah, it's kind of cool he got away with it. I'm kind of okay with it, right? So just to run down the story for any listeners that may not be. Uh, exactly familiar with it. You've heard this story before. I guarantee you, if you own a TV or a radio, um, this man boarded a plane uh, the day before Thanksgiving in 1971. He, uh, he had a bomb supposedly in his briefcase, slips a note to the lady and says, the flight attendant says, I want $200,000 in negotiable American currency, or I'm going to blow this up. And he ends up getting it. And then to get away while they're in air, he opens the back end of the tailgate, uh, the tailgate. Because planes have tailgates. Okay. Yeah. He opens the back of the plane and jumps off into the dark, the raining dark over like wilderness and is never seen again. That's the basic outline of the story that I just murdered. So. (laughs) And he's, and he's wearing a suit, by the way. He's wearing a suit, but he has a trench coat too. Let's not forget. And like penny loafers. So. Right. Penny loafers. Yeah. He, he's legitly like the VO5 is holding the hair down. I get that. But how do you think he took the he took the clip off the clip on tie off, mm-hmm. set it down. Now he but he must have took the other stuff with him, or do you think he just threw it out the plane? No, I mean I think he probably took it with him. I would have thought if he would have thrown it out the plane, they would have found it. I, I mean, in in my mind, like what I try to imagine is this guy's dressed like a banker, and yeah, yeah. On, on a cold rainy day, and he jumps out the back of a plane. I think it's really interesting that he leaves the tie. Uh, that's almost like a wink, like a, like a ransom note or something. Like he did that on purpose, right? Like he could have stuffed it in his pocket. He could have put it in his duffel bag. Like he could have done uh, yeah. anything he wanted with the tie. He takes it off and leaves it neatly on the seat with the tie clip, you know, the little pearl tie clip. I uh, agree. That's definitely a wink in my I, opinion. I, in my, in my, we'll get to the speculation, but in my theory too, once we go through this, it's so well laid out. It's so well planned in my mind that the only thing we can think of is, that's probably not even the tie he was wearing. Like he had it, or if it was, he took it off of somebody. Like he picked right. it out their luggage, picked it up at Goodwill. He just had it in his pocket, took it off, left it there, and then he probably had the tie when he jumped. That's got to be a misdirect. Like he did everything else in the story so damn well. I just can't imagine he left his tie. He even took back the note that he slipped her to get his handwriting back so they yeah. couldn't match it. But he took off his tie and purposely like set it out. Yeah, and, and an interesting uh, comment about the note is that the, the flight attendant d- didn't look at it initially. She just dropped it into her purse because she thought he was giving her a, yeah. his phone number. Yeah. So, okay, we'll start it off. We'll go ahead and run down the deal. I'll start the outline. You guys just jump in wherever you feel comfortable or when I breathe. <laughs> uh, the, so the hijacking, it was a 727, and it was like I said, it was November 24th, 1971, busy travel holiday, right. day before Thanksgiving. And a dude in a uh, raincoat, like a trench coat, and with a briefcase, got on uh, Northwest Oriental Airlines flight uh, 305 from Portland to Seattle. Is, is it interesting that, that the flight was only two-thirds full for such a busy day of, of travel? Yeah, that is interesting, I think. Especially since 
like you pointed out, especially since it was a busy day of travel. And you would think that they would have waited longer. So, I mean, that, that kind of sparked some things in my mind, too, during my research. Really? But it, it made me question you know, this guy's prior knowledge to, uh, or prior knowledge of the way that the flight industry worked. Yeah, the, the, a 727 is not a big commercial plane no, no. By, by any means, but there was only 36 passengers on that plane, including including him. Right. I'm sorry, plus the hijacker. 37. Oh, 36. Uh, yeah, 36 with him, six crew. Yeah, uh, if that's a, that's not a lot of people on a commercial airline the day before Thanksgiving. But it's also Portland to Seattle, which I feel like is dri- is driving distance. <clears throat> Fair point. So I mean, that may be why. I mean. I'm not saying but that they but would, that, but. that wouldn't happen today. They don't they don't go. They don't planes don't take off with with one third of their seats empty. Usually no. these days they don't get away with that. But probably part of that is because they, they're afraid of BD Cooper. <laughs> right. Uh, right. So he, anyway, he took a seat. Now, he did smoke. He was a, a, a apparently reported either being a chain smoker or smoking like two cigarettes. People apparently didn't pay attention. Yeah. But he did use a Raleigh filter tips. I know that a weird piece to pick up in research, but. Um, and he ordered our favorite drink here, which is a bourbon and coke. Oh yeah, absolutely. And well, I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna hijack a plane, that's the only real drink. James Bond had movies though, so I guess you could order a vodka martini. But uh, American, you gotta go. You gotta go bourbon and coke. So I feel like he probably was American. We'll get to how that. Is that. How is that drink not renamed the DB Cooper? I'm gonna start calling that when we go to the bar now. Thank you for that. That's actually a good point. <laughs> can we can we do that when we go to like midnight stuff? Uh, that's our local. Hang out. Like we ordered bourbon and cokes there way too much. We, we do. Um, but we should we should start calling it. A, can I get a Dan Cooper, please? No, no. I, on, no a, on a DVD. side note, on a side note, I I you know after the movie, um, what was the movie? Uh, crud! What was that movie uh, where, where the Caucasian became popular? The the White Russian. Oh oh, a Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski. So after that came out, I started or- trying to order Caucasians, and nobody knew what I was talking about. <laughs> oh man, that that's uh, that. That probably wouldn't work because I, I drink white Russians and I was totally confused. About <laughs> yeah, well, well he, he calls it a Caucasian in the movie. Oh, I didn't know that. See, uh, yeah, I've tended bar and I didn't know. I, I just go. That's a bowling alley drink, though. That really is. I love how they pick the really? drink for a bowling alley because <laughs> when I go to the bowling, that's what I order. I'm like, I, I got to have white Russian. I was just surprised with the popularity of that movie that that people didn't know the name the name Caucasian for that drink. I thought it would take on a second name by then. I'm, I, I know that really is a good point. Like I didn't get it, and I was in a play called The Caucasian Chalk Circle that was set <laughs> in the steps of the Caucasus. So huh. wow, yeah, you're learning so much about me that you already knew. I mean, well, true, <laughs> but I still think it's wild. <laughs> um, so he's, like Topher said, he gets on the plane. He passes a note to the flight attendant. He's like, "Here you go, tits." And she takes it, and he's like, and she's like, "Thanks." Slips it in her pocket. Another dude's just hitting on her on the plane. Yeah. Now I just really want to put like sexual harassment laws. Like, did y'all see in the news where the girl couldn't get on the plane because she had on leggings? No, no. American Airlines told this girl that she was not appropriately dressed because she was wearing bare leggings, which meant just leggings and not pants or a skirt or shorts over it. Yeah. See, I don't think that's right. I've gotten on, onto a plane with no harassment wearing leggings many yeah, times. Yeah. See, but. <laughs> I'd like to juxtapose the, the, the two worlds to you. One where you can't get on the plane because you're wearing leggings, and one where a flight attendant is so used to being hit on by the passengers. She's just like, oh, better put that with the rest of them. So I yeah, when, when, yeah, when she opened her purse where there are three, three or four other notes in there, she's dropped in with the rest of them. Like, ah, oh, another day in the office. <laughs> and, and the other thing I want to ask is, is, what was his immediate emotion or reaction when she just drops it in his purse? Is he like, like are you kidding me? 
like, is he frustrated? Is he angry? Does he think that's funny? You know, what, yeah, what was his I mean, response? I, I would love to have seen his reaction because I just imagine him being like Mr. Bean about it. Just like, you know, yeah. What, was it an eye roll? You know, like I want to know what his exact response or thought in his head was when he watched that. Well, uh, it probably like, whoops, uh, better think, rethink that, you know, because it, which he did. He actually told her, asked her to read the letter. I don't know. I was floored at the fact that she just put it in a, in her, uh, in her purse and just kept going. You know, well, what are you going to do? You're in the air or taxi. You're going you're gonna to read it. I mean, I'm going to, if somebody hands me a letter, I'm going to read it. She's at least flip it open. Like, yeah. Yeah. No, she's getting like old school dick pics. Like she's not going to just check that. <laughs> like dudes are just like sketching it on there. And so she's like, but clearly she was quite a catch regardless. Cause, <laughs> Cause this was her team for her. Yeah. Wow. And, well, and she didn't throw it away. I mean, that, that's a good sign, I guess. Well, she was being polite more than anything. I feel like they were like, what was she supposed to do? Like blow her nose into it and be like, I'm sorry, sir. Well, her name was Florence Schaffner. Right. Has there ever been any hot women from any, from any generation named Florence Schaffner? Florence Schaffner? No. No. I don't feel like Florence is a, is a, is a, is a, is a name that's given to a woman that's very attractive. Like the Brady Bunch or whatever? But I, I don't feel like that counts, though. Okay. Well, I try. <laughs> <laughs> now, her real name was Alice Cooper, so I think. Yeah, there you go. Oh, Which man. is weird. That, yeah, yeah. I, I've never come across mm. any women from any age or generation with the name Florence that were really, really particularly good looking. So I don't know. I've only really seen paintings of like Florence Nightingale. Now I'm going to have to go research this. Thanks. <laughs> That's what I do. Like, this is how whole shows get started the history yeah. of the name Florence. Were there ever any hot ones? Great topic for a future episode. Yeah, no, that's exactly what's going to happen. Um, so he has a bomb. Now, I love the fact that everyone online was kind of picking on the fact. I was reading like the Citizen Sleuth stuff was picking on the fact that she couldn't really describe the bomb real well. And I'm like, how the hell do you expect a flight attendant to yeah. have like expert bomb making knowledge? She was like, it was some wires and some red cylinders. I'm like, that sounds like TNT and cylinders on top of cylinders. Yeah. So what she described it. And, People are like, well, we don't know what that could be. You're exactly You're right. Neither did she, which also was kind of what I'm thinking is maybe he didn't have a bomb at all. I thought about that. I mean, I think it makes sense that he gets caught. And he's like, what are you talking about? It's a broken toaster. You don't know. Road I mean, flares, man. Well, and he, and he only cracked it open. It's not like he flipped it open and, and showed it to her in detail. Yeah. Like she's a flight attendant. What does she know what a bomb looks like? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like if somebody showed you something and told you it was a bomb, how real would it have to be for you to be like, Yep, that's a bomb. Uh-huh. Well, the, the note the note in the story is that she asked to see the bomb, so I think that's interesting. First, like yeah. like she, he, he says he says, hey, "Ma'am, would you please read the note?" So there's that moment, yeah. and then she opens it and then reads it and realizes there's a bomb. Her response is, "Can I see let me bomb? let me see the bomb?" Like yeah. like like is that is that out of fear? Is that a, it, it's it's got to be out of skepticism, right? Maybe she was thinking the other kind of bomb the gentleman told her she had. They have. Like, <laughs> he was like, "Well, let me see it, then, big boy." It's like, um. well, and, and so so then like she's curious enough that she asked to see it, but not to examine it really. So he just kind of cracks it open. She gets a brief look at it, and then he snaps it shut again. So that, that's a really interesting little moment in the in the story. Sounds like my last date, <laughs> or or rather, the way it ended. Oh, uh-huh. man. I hope you're not going on dates. I would hate to tell your wife. <laughs> it's a good joke, though. Uh, so it's funny because then he is like, sit down with me. This is where yeah. it's all surreal to me. Like, you're talking about how surreal it must have been to see her, like, took the note away from him and be like, are you kidding me? Fuck, come on, woman. And then go, uh, I want to see the bomb. And he's like, what? 
Um, here, here's a bomb. Yeah. And then she's like, okay, yeah, no, now I'm scared. And he, now he's in control. And he's like, why don't you sit down with me? Like, this has got to be the most awkward hijacking of all time. How awesome would it have been if he hadn't, if he hadn't thought through that and he, there was nothing in the briefcase? Right. Ooh. Yeah, that would have been pretty awesome. <laughs> I, I guess he would have just said, I'm not going to show it to you, but that would have been suspicious. Yeah, she probably would have just kept going. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, we are talking about the stewardess who, who put a letter in her purse and kept going. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, she, never might mind. Tell, she might tell the pilot or something. Like, mm. uh, maybe jokingly, like, yeah, get a load of this guy. He said he has a bomb. The yeah, maybe not. In, maybe not in 1971. She might have said nothing. She might have just laughed yeah, it no, off. That's what oh, I'm saying. True. Yeah, true. Um, I just thought it was kind of this is the first real sign of brilliance I had from him was the fact that he took the note back. Yeah, he took the note back. He's like, nope, no evidence. Right. You know, and, and she doesn't she doesn't comment on how or when that happened. So at what point did he get the note back? Yeah, I just wonder if like after she read it and like came over to him and he like took it out of her hand or. Yeah. Because at that point, she might have actually been nervous and been like a bomb. And he's like, yeah, look at that. I don't know. I thought it was weird also that he he outlined his demands to her to tell the pilot. I mean, it kind of makes sense, but you let her go. She could say anything at that point. Right. Right. Well, yeah, that and the fact, but maybe he did that so that way they didn't have record of his voice. Like nobody could say what he sounded like. Well, you know, she knew what he sounded like. She, but one person, one witness telling you what he sounded like instead of having several corroborating witnesses. I just thought that it was weird that he asked for a negotiable American currency. Um, why, why would you think that was weird? Because you and him are the only people that would say negotiable American currency. <laughs> Okay, uh, touche on that, touche. Toph, would you ask for neg- no, no, negotiable? I'm going to say the word. I'm, negotiable American currency? For, for all the movies where I've seen where it involves some sort of ransom money, I've always heard unmarked bills. I've never heard the phrase negotiable currency. Right. right. And some people were saying that this maybe means that he was not American. Uh, yeah, I've seen that, but I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think, think so. I think it was a guy who had a really thought out plan that was like, this is specifically what I want. I'm not going to let him jerk me around with bonds. I'm not going to let him jerk me around with stock certificates or anything like this. Just specifically. I wonder if it had anything to do with the fact that he was trying to go to Mexico. Yeah, I maybe, so. maybe. I mean, it seems kind of weird. But I've always wondered about that nowadays. Like, what would happen? Now, money passes through banks. I understand how it works. And it comes back to its home country eventually. But let's say he went to some crappy third world country, either in South America, Eastern Europe, Africa, somewhere, and disappeared with his money. Yeah. It could circulate until it just degrades at that point and never actually make it back to the U.S., I feel like. Have either of you ever knowingly passed a bad bill? Yep. No, I've never passed one. I've caught one. No, no, not passed it on. I passed it to Desmond to look at. I said, hey, check this out. This is (laughs) obviously not real. But you, okay, so you've never tried to spend a, a bill that you knew was bad. No. Well, I know what happens because I've I've caught people passing it. Uh, no, I don't know what happens. What happens? Are you asking me? Yeah, I, I am. Yeah, he's asking. Oh, Sorry, okay. he's talking to the microphone, staring at it. Like, come on, <laughs> microphone, talk back to me. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what's happened, but but I I actually have I've received a bad bill some somewhere in change, and um, I was like, I'm I'm not going to get stuck with this, and I just spent it. I just kept, I just kept passing it. Yeah. So what hap- what's supposed to happen or what happened to me when we did it? They caught they caught them. They were counterfeiters passing through town, and they were stayed up in a hotel with their equipment. Mm-hmm. And what they had done was they came into McDonald's. I was manager of McDonald's. They came in. They passed a bad bill. So we have to call the police. Yeah. And the police actually came, and they actually bring the treasury department comes, 
and partly, I think at the time it might have been the Secret Service, was still part of the Treasury Department, was the ones that actually came. And they take the bill and they look at it and they look at our tapes and stuff and they try to figure out who it was. And then they look at other reports and just tell you, hey, they come back, give us a call. Wow. That's it. So that sounds official. I mean, they do chase the people down, but at this time, he's not passing counterfeit bills. So there's no reason for any of the banks or anything. It would have to actually, I feel like, get to a reserve because that's where the money goes to be destroyed and stuff. Like, it would have to get to a reserve branch before they actually, hmm. a federal reserve branch before they actually caught it. What, what was the denomination of the bill? The 20s. one I caught was 20. Yeah. Yeah, that was the one I had. 20s are apparently really popular because this is what I was told when I went through the class about how to, you know, catch them. Mm-hmm. Is they're low enough that people don't check them real hard. Yeah. So that's really it. But they're expensive enough you can make you can make a big purchase like five and you got a hundred bucks. Right. Somebody will check a hundred dollar bill. Somebody won't check five twenties. Well, as as another tangent, did you know that that there was that a really far out strategy for for combating the drug war? Was to eliminate the any bills over over twenties. Yeah, like literally, literally take all the hundred dollar bills out of circulation. Really, because it yeah. would make it impossible for them to move their money. It would you, right because as we'll get to in the story, when he actually gets paid, it weighs a shit ton. Yeah, so they, if if you if you, all you could do is twenties or less, it would it would take so much physical cash to do drug deals on a large scale that it would, it would almost be impractical. Do you take checks? <laughs> <laughs> Gift uh, cards, yeah, right. That you know what the people steal laundry detergent, right, and use it on the black market because it's expensive. Like its its weight to cash value is high. So oh, I, I imagine they would start trading stuff it. like that. That's man, like that's pirates crazy. with gold and shit. Like Pablo Escobar's just all in a truck full of gold. That's the weirdest. Uh, all right, you, uh, you you pay for your brick of marijuana with some Tide. Yes, exactly. <laughs> tide. People do though. Oh this man. Is, this is True story. Um, I've never heard that, but that's awesome. That's, yeah, that's no, crazy. they have. They, that's why if you go to like Family Dollar and stuff, places like that, Dollar General, they have little locks on the Tide bottle. Really? Wow, yeah. I never so knew that. People, that's what they do with the meth and stuff, man. Uh, so he also asked for two pair, or not two, two pairs of parachutes. Is what I was going to say. Right. So four parachutes, one of which apparently they felt brave enough to give him a dummy shoot. Because they, they gave him the money and they gave him the shoot. Now they did do an old-fashioned thing here, kids. I don't think any of them, any of our listeners under the age of thirty, probably won't remember what this is. Microfish, yeah, microfish. microfish. You know where you take a picture and then it makes it really, really tiny, and then you scroll through this tiny reel of film, and it would blow up big images on the screen, and you would look at it, and that's how you go to the library and find it. Right. I've used a microfish machine for work before. Yeah. Same here. Not so, in 20 years, but I did use one. <laughs> no, but that, that's the point. Like, we, they exist, and they were a big part of our life. Growing up, I'm sure we all used them in school. If you went to the library, you definitely ran across one because that's how old newspapers and stuff were stored. They would take a picture of it, store the originals. All right. So they took a copy of all the bills they gave him like that, which seems really intensive to me. Yeah, how long did that take? Good Lord. That's what right. I'm saying. Like, the, these people, apparently hijacking was not a, like, terrorism was not a big issue in 71. Like, you can ask to see bombs. Well, it obviously didn't take too long because they got the money to him within, they got the demand for the money. The man landed. And then he had the money within a couple of hours. Yeah, I think it was like taking off. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it obviously didn't take too long. Or maybe, yeah, I don't think it took too long. Maybe like three, four hours. 
No, they were very efficient in getting him what he needed, Indeed. considering considering the steps they had to take. Right. Now, the parachutes they actually got from, like, a local parajumping school. Right, which I thought was kind of interesting that they went that route, or that he went that route to explicitly point out that he didn't want them. He didn't want military-grade equipment. Yeah. Which the standard for military-grade equipment is higher than the, uh, or rather the, the scrutiny sport. on military equipment is higher, quality, higher, it's higher percentage than it is for the uh, a civilian or sport, sport Yeah, type. that doesn't mean every piece is. I don't know if you've I, ever had general-issued equipment, but... Oh, true, true. <laughs> but, I mean, it said a few things to me in my mind, or it sparked a few things in my mind. Um, but I guess we'll talk about that a little bit further on. I just thought it was funny that, now you mentioned it, he actually took one of the military shoots. That's the one he took. They gave him a military shoot, a training shoot, a drop shoot. Oh. That is what it is. And he used it, and... uh I used the other one, and then you said he, you were talking to me before the show swam that he disabled one. Right. Now, there's lots of reasons you could do that. And uh, a lot of para-jumpers, the para-rescue men or whatever, they tie their gear to themselves. Of course, you want to fasten them, you've got your rifle on. I'm thinking that's what he used that silk for, and that paracord, that 550. He was fastening the money and other things to himself, whatever he had. I don't know. That may have been the case. But it, it's just crazy that he, that he had this much planning. Like, I want to know why four shoots. But I feel like he, so he could pick the best ones is really the answer. And then maybe piecemeal things together from the others? No, just make, I mean, like he needed to make like a holder for the money, yeah. whatever else he had. I don't know. That's a good point. But yeah, what do you think, Toph? You know, I read a lot of details about the parachutes and I've never done any parachuting, so I found some of them confusing. But I, I do think it's interesting that he disabled one of them. I, I, I like your theory that, that he was cutting cords out of it so he could tie things to himself. I actually didn't think about that. Yeah, because I don't know if you've ever seen like Band of Brothers or anything like that. Uh, I, have n- I have not seen that. If you see Band of Brothers or if you just know jump, like I had a friend who was a jump master and stuff, uh, MP, and they would, you always fasten your gear to yourself. And he didn't, he wouldn't have had a harness. So he made, a, made he may have made a harness or some webbing and then attached whatever he had his coat. He may have took off the coat and put it on that way or used it to wrap it up and then wrap the silk around it so that he could hmm. drop that's my that's my guess i don't i don't actually know because i'm i'm not db cooper guys just, right. i know we haven't got to that part yet but i will tell you <laughs> uh now on the ground that what i thought was funny was they didn't really debate it like they called into the demands and the president of the airline was like please yes give him what he wants right. don't don't make my airline look bad because i'm guessing he was smart like in all of his demands I have to imagine that $200,000 was enough to hurt, but not enough for them to really care. Like, he knew well, he wasn't going to get jets They had on. to go to multiple banks to get it. Right. Right. Well, I can understand it's a lot of money, but I'm saying for the airline, it's not enough for them to, like, want to press pursuing him and calling in jets and stuff. It's just enough for them to be like, damn it. Well, with the anti-money laundering, like, laws that are in place currently today, you can't walk into a bank and take out, because we, we talk about this as the equivalent of 1.2 mil. You can't walk into a bank today and say, I want to withdraw $1.2 million without them saying, okay, well, there are some steps in place. Um, even if your balance is well over a million dollars, you, you're not going to be allowed to just walk out with a million dollars. They're going to, I mean, they're going to, they're going to, you're going to be waiting a little bit of time. They're going to go through and make sure, okay, what do you need this money for? Uh, where is this money going? You know, there's just a lot of steps you have to go through nowadays. So I imagine if they had even one, um, I, I don't know, one tenth of the type of security that they had on this then, which kind of is explained by the fact that they had to go to multiple banks to get the money, um, it, it, it just isn't a, an expedient process. 
Yeah, but I also think if you flash a badge, you can get that money pretty quick. Like, if the FBI comes in and he goes, we're going to need to take $10,000. Yeah. They go, okay, well, we, have, we have procedures in place for this as well. Uh, one of the things, again, because I really feel like this dude was a cr- cr- criminal mastermind, and I'm not trying to, I don't want to bias my opinion into the story. But, uh, so that's why I'm putting it out there so people know when I put out this next line. I thought it was really smart. He had them taxi to a dark part of the runway and draw the blinds. So I think I misread that. I, I think what, what happened was he, he had them taxi to a lit part of the, the Oh, runway yeah, sorry. And then darken the lights on the inside. Side, the yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. It's like he went to, he went to the, the runway and then he made it dark so they couldn't find him inside to shoot him. That's what, that's what it said in my mind was snipers. That's instantly thought that he is taking cover from snipers. Yeah. Uh, and he also seemed pretty chill about this whole incident. Like nobody reported him sweating or being curt or upset or any kind of emotion. He's just smoking and drinking and like, yep, going to get my money and jump off a goddamn plane. Yeah. Yeah. His disposition is really notable in the story. Agreed. Now there was an interesting note that apparently he was able to identify some things from the air. From the air, like McCord Air Force Base. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to say that this guy was Rain Man or anything, but I will say that I, I mean, again, this is one of the things that pointed out uh, that that actually brought to my attention the fact that he might have actually been more knowledgeable about the situation as a whole uh, than we know or will ever know. No, oh, I think that I think that's I mean implied. Now they gave him the money, and this is what this is what pissed me off. It's 23 pounds. Yeah. It's $20 bills. How many bills is $200,000 in $20 bills from them? Uh, you know, I don't know. I would, I would guess like maybe, uh, I don't know, like a thousand. Tell me you want to you make a guess. It's basic math here. So you're obviously not Rain Man either, Shalom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make a rough guess and say around 10,000. That's right. It's 10,000 $20 bills. Now, That's a lot. That's a lot of paper. And it weighs 23 pounds. Now, at this point, you're talking about throwing a wrench in somebody's plan. He knew his plan was to jump off this plane, I feel like. Because he made the demand. Everyone says, oh, well, the pilot told him he didn't have fuel after he took off the second time. He'd already asked for the parachutes before the pilot told him that. Yeah. So that has no bearing on it. Going to Mexico doesn't ever seem to really be part of his plan because he asked for the parachutes before he says we're going to Mexico. Right. Well, they renegotiated and and made the the refueling stop to be Reno. Reno. Right. But that was in the air. But he was totally fine with that. Yeah, because he was going to jump. See, that's my thing. Is like he was right. never going to not jump in that area. And so I just found it funny that what kind of wrench would that be to throw into the works to pick up that bag and be like, son of a bitch. <laughs> well, I kind of feel like he would have planned for that. Well, maybe he did, but still, do you think he? Do you think he made like a practice run with like different weights? Like, is he that prepared? That he's like, this is what if that happens to give me one dollar bills. This is what happens if they give me five, ten, twenty. No, I think that's too obvious. But um, I think that at the same time, twenty-three pounds is a yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of weight. But at the same time, it's not a lot of weight for a parachute when you're distributing your weight over that mass. Well, it's not for a parajumper. I mean, I, again, I'll go back to that. It's not for a parajumper because all your gear and everything is going to weigh less mm-hmm. than twenty-three pounds. No, I'm saying it, it's going to weigh less than your gear. Like, there's oh, no yeah. way you're putting on. You're you're not putting in any of your flag. You're jumping. Right. Under 23 pounds. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But it just seems all a little... The guy is definitely more... There's something to him we don't know. That's what makes this interesting. 
every corner we look at this story where there's facts, it seems like D.B. Cooper was one step ahead of those facts. Hmm. 48 years ago or whatever, I'm, my math's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but as, as Topher mentioned, he wanted to go to Mexico. He was like, let's go to Mexico, boys. Uh, well, I'm not even sure if he wanted to go to Mexico now that we've talked about this. I think that's that was maybe one of his misdirections. No, it may have been, but he said he told them, he said, you boys like Mexico? And they, <laughs> they got in the plane and they, they flew and uh, ended up pretty quick. The pilot was like, oh, we, we can't do this with the directions you gave me because D.B. Cooper told him how low and how fast and what to set his gears at and everything. He definitely knew at least what he was talking about. Whether he knew how to fly, who knows? But he told them what set it out, and they said, well, like this, our fuel will only last so far. And they said, well, Reno. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think my, my general opinion on the whole thing is that I don't know that there was any part of the entire experience that was a surprise to him. I think he had every detail worked out. And, oh, and, yeah. and he's if, if you plan something out with that level of detail, you've also thought of some of the contingencies. Right. So I think he had some of those identified as well. Yeah, no, I think he definitely at least knew planes. And even the weather, the weather, like this is a rainstorm he's taken off in, uh, because, and I think this is something else along the storyline is that there were two, uh, there were two F-106 Delta darts that were trailing one on top and one below the plane, uh, as they were traveling. And then on top of that, there was a, I guess it was an SR-71 Blackbird. Is that right? That was, um. No, they had a reconnaissance plane. I don't remember. Uh, I don't think. Kind of, Probably wasn't probably wasn't a Blackbird. It'd be way too fast. Well, right, but there was some kind of a reconnaissance plane that was a reconnaissance plane that was also flying, um, just to kind of keep track of the situation. And so there's all this surveillance during a rainstorm, which nowadays with rain and lightning we don't fly planes um, as often. But th- this situation is is they're they're monitoring the situation, and he still manages to be able to jump out of the plane. Well, and reportedly the note was is that they never saw him jump. Right. Like he de- he definitely jumped. That's not in dispute. Yeah. But 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 they never had a visual on him when he jumped. They, there was like they had to go back. They had to land in Reno and then kind of guess based on some other circumstances and details yeah. of when the guy actually jumped. You know, they did a search of the plane. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they expected to find him or not. Of course they didn't. And then they're like, well, he obviously jumped because they landed with the with the stairs down. Right. And, and and then they had to sit there and figure out when he jumped. But they never actually had a visual on him. And part of that was that the I was reading this that the the jets that were following them had to had, they were going too fast they couldn't fly at the same speed that the plane was seven twenty seven could fly a lot slower and lower than the jets so they had to circle it which meant there was a four minute window and they kind of had a, there was going to be gaps so they were circling but they couldn't one of them was always going to be too far away so Desmond I think you touched on something that we we needed to probably slow down and kind of yeah. restate. The, the plane itself, uh, Cooper actually mentioned that he wanted, he wanted the plane to fly a certain, uh, what, like yeah. a thousand, a thousand, um, I think it was no feet. higher, no, no, no higher than 10,000 feet. No yeah. higher than 10,000. I, yeah, yeah, I knew he gave him specific directions. And I actually think if I remember from what I was reading, cause I don't have this in my notes, they were on heading, uh, Victor 123 going to Reno is what the pilot ended up sending the autopilot on. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's a known route. It's a programmed route, and they were taking it. So he's got all these specific things that are going on. Yeah, he definitely was setting for a jump. Yeah, um, that seems probably right. I think. Well, he definitely things- was because because he also requested that they take off with the with the stairs down. Yeah. Right. right, and they told him they couldn't, and he was like, "No big deal." Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, "That's no, no. I'll just now." He did ask, you know, obviously for the pressure pressure right. the cabin not to be pressurized. 
and, and he argued with him a little bit about the stairs, but then he finally gave in. He just said, that's fine. I'll just open them myself. <laughs> right. Well, no, it was kind of funny because this shows that he actually had knowledge because at first he told him, they said, oh, that can't be done and you can't do it when you're up there. And he's like, yeah, I, actually, you can take off. With actually, them you down, can do that. Yeah. And I can open it. So, you know what? How about you guys just don't pressurize the cabin and I'll, I'll open it myself. So they, they tried to pull a fast one on him a few times. Uh, right, which which points which points to my point was which he was prepared for contingencies. Oh yeah. yeah, no, I definitely agree, man. I think he was ahead of them every step of this game. There's no question that he there was no way he wasn't going to get off the plane. Whether he got away, totally different yeah. deal. But he was going to get off the plane. Um, so that's it. In the raining dark, going slow and low, DB Cooper and the money jump off this plane. So I, I have one more question. Yeah. Before you move on, if you don't mind. No, go ahead, man. I I don't know enough about parachuting. The the, the big circumstance that that I really question is the rain. Like like, can you can you parachute from nine or eight or nine or ten thousand feet in the rain and that temperature at night, and and not just plummet to the ground? Like I I don't know enough about parachuting or that equipment to know if it functions in the rain. Well, and I think I think it does. I mean, I think it depending on the material that it's made out of. I think it's prepared for the rain or whatnot. Well, I mean, it's prepared for rain. I don't. I'm not. I've never parajumped. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't tell you. Now I've known people that do all kinds of crazy jumps. Mm-hmm. I heard mixed results from schools and doing interviews and watching TV shows on this over a lifetime, where people are pretty much torn where they're it's a death sentence. Jumping out is complete bullshit. Yeah. No one should ever do it. You would die. To people saying that it was probably one of the easiest jumps you could do. So I think it just depends on the skill level, like whether or not he was an actual skilled jumper. Okay, so so you can you can parachute. You can. Rain, I mean, rain. I'm not saying it would be easy or like super feasible, but apparently it's doable. Yeah. Um, I don't know what his skill level was, so I can't say that he was something that he would have liked. Or like what his percentages of uh, survival would have been, I don't think. But. Well, okay, well, yeah. so once again, that, that couldn't have been a surprise to him because this was the day before Thanksgiving. Right. The the weather in that area, they only have like two or three months out of the year where you don't have rain right. constantly. Hmm. So it was it was cold and it was night and it was that none of that should have been a surprise to him. So he probably knew uh, that he was going to be jumping in the rain. That couldn't have been a – he couldn't have been up there like, oh, crap, now it's raining. No, I don't think but, so. I don't think you call go, the whole thing off. I don't think you go from anywhere in the Seattle, Portland right. area and go, oh, shit, rain. Yeah, maybe if you're going from Reno to Phoenix. So. Yeah, <laughs> then, then rain hits and you're like, well, this is new. What? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but no, he, he had to expect – it's it's the fall up in the northwest. Of course it's raining. I think I think it is, but you know what? The You touched on – it's right before Thanksgiving. That's a moment I didn't mention that I think is really smart too. That points to this whole plotted out thing. I don't think he was from the area, even though he kind of seemed to know the area. Think about this. At your work, when it's Thanksgiving, people take off, right? They're yeah. gone two, three, four days. No one thinks anything about it. Right. So if this dude's missing that entire weekend, who's going to notice it? It's true. That's a good point. Yeah. It's true. So I think that this is just like the perfect timing. The perfect, like he had everything pinned down. Like he had Charlie's dartboard from Sonny and he's just like, it's all connected. I got it. <laughs> anyway, he jumps off the plane, and that's it. Uh, where he lands, no one knows. As Tuff was saying, they noticed a pressure change. They're assuming that's when he opened the door. Right. Whether or not that's when he jumped, we don't know. Uh, they did call back and ask if he needed any help, and he just said no. Right. Um, that was all anyone knew of Cooper until 1980. And in 1980, 
little boy found like $5,800 on a, a shoal in the river area where they were. And that was it. They, they, they traced it. The bills were from the Cooper lot. They had dredged that area, but the dredging had stopped short, like I think 100 or 50 feet from the where the spot was. So it didn't get turned up by that. And it was kind of buried, worn. You can see pictures of it and stuff online. That's it. That's all anyone knows. Now, there's a million and a half theories on who he was or what is who he actually was, like his identity. Yeah. Um, do you guys have anything to add to the story before we start getting into the fun time of speculating on this? I, I do not. I think, I think we did a great job of running it down. Yeah, no, I just wanted to run it down because he's definitely a part of pop history. And, you know, you can find books, TV shows, websites, everything dedicated to just this dude. So if we miss something, trust us, you can find it out there. Well, before before we do the speculation, I will add this in, just along the lines of pop culture. Are you guys aware of the 1981 film, The Pursuit of E.B. Cooper? No. So so there was a movie made in 1981, which is interesting because, you know, obviously when the money was found, then the interest in the story peaked again. This is only, this is only 10 years after it actually happened. And right after they found the money, the movie was released. It, was, it, was star- it starred uh, Robert Duvall, uh, Treat Williams as D.B. Cooper. Uh, and then a couple of other people I've never heard of. Um, I did not see this movie. I don't have any plans to see it. But apparently, it was a terrible film because <laughs> it, it got <laughs> it got 5.7 stars out of out of 10 uh, on on IMDb, and it was such a bad film that Rotten Tomatoes doesn't even review it. There's Ouch. no it, it's on there because it's a film, but they they don't give it a rating. <laughs> and 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 the audience score is 27. percent That sounds about right. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. Awful. And um, so, so, so as interesting. So, so that was one thing I was going to bring. And now there was a documentary that was done by the History Channel last year, actually last mm-hmm. last summer. And I've not seen that either. It's short. It's only forty five minutes. But, but that's this is. So, I know there's books and YouTube, you know, videos and all kinds of stuff. But I can't believe there hasn't been multiple movies about this. It's such a great story. Right? How do you, how how have people stayed away from this? Just this one terrible movie in 1981 starring Treat Williams. That just got panned by audience and critics. Man, line. are you hearing so this, ter- Dean Kane? You should talk to Lifetime Network and get them to produce <laughs> this one as well. You you know you guys are tight. Let them make you this. But but isn't that amazing that there hasn't been that this movie hasn't no, been it really made is like and, you said and remade it. like six times. That's a good point. I mean, you said but, Treat Williams and Robert Duvall. I'm like I get behind that, and I think Treat Williams probably does look like D.B. Cooper. Yeah, but but apparently it was awful. But I can't believe this is such a fascinating story, and it's a true story. Yeah. And, and there's wild speculation, and there's tons of artistic license you could take with it. How has there not been four or five? You know, yeah. there's, there's been there's been like six Godzilla movies. How is there That's not right? Been like I'm sitting here like, man, Leonardo DiCaprio, where have you been? This is, seems like a story he would love to do. Yeah, he did. It was called Catch Me If You Can. I know, that's but exact, he was, he was exactly a, right. definitely a pilot. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I I went out researching for this inter- for this show for this episode, expecting to find tons of pop culture stuff, you know, TV shows or unsolved mystery stuff. Or I thought there would be two or three movies, and for there to be one stinking movie and a and a terrible one at that <laughs> was just shocking to me. Maybe maybe we'll watch it sometime and let you know. <laughs> I don't know. We always threaten to do bad things to ourselves for this podcast. So, um, you know what's funny to me is I didn't mention this earlier. He tried to tip the flight attendant. Did you know that for like his drinks? And stuff? Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I read that too. I thought that was great. I mean, I mean, that's the other thing is he's he's such a he's such a charismatic character. There's so many dimensions to this. Yeah, like if I was anywhere near Hollywood, this would be my next project. I know John Hamm would be on the phone and we'd be making this thing. 
Yeah, Shalom, could dial him up, would you? Can we just yeah. go ahead and do that? Just pause that the podcast? Happen. I know you have those convictions. <laughs> <laughs> dial it right now. Uh, now, he could still be persecuted. Like, I think the right. statute of limitations on air piracy was short, but they, they, they indicted him anyway in absentia. Right. Which and then they also changed the stuff on the money laws, yeah. the extortion. And they they did it for that. So he can still, maybe that's why he's hidden. Because he was reported, I think, being 40, 45 at the time, right? Right. Which, if my math is right, means he would have been like World War II age. Late end of World War II, Korean War, is when he would have been in the military if he was in the military. And then after, so he would be born in about 1920-something, maybe. So he would be maybe 90 years old now. But I think he's gone. I mean, oh, I yeah, he'd be, he'd be dead as a doornail by now. Yeah, I, I mean, it's gone. possible. I'm just saying he, he'd be, I think, in my mind, if my master, he'd be about 90. I, I kind of wish they would have done something with him, like like Deep Throat. Where deep throat after, um, you know, after passing his, or after on the way on passing, but not, uh, we find out who deep throat really was. You know, I, I really think that I, I would appreciate something like that, but yeah, I mean, I guess the world would have appreciated something like that. It's just, it's interesting that, you know, this guy was such a nice guy, like we talked about. He, he tried to pay, he tried to take care of the, the, the crew. He actually tried to take care of the crew. I almost believe wholeheartedly that had he not gotten the money, he would have just looked for a way to escape without hurting. Oh, any I think of the he pa- just would have jumped. Well, without hurting any of the passengers, I don't even think that he had an intention from the beginning to harm the passengers. No, uh, I mean he let every passenger go when they landed for the first refueling. He let every passenger go. Uh, they gave him his money, and he went on about his way. Uh, but I think that's really uh, something to, to touch on just today. And I and I don't want to bring a somber note to this to this podcast or this show this episode, but. That's not the norm anymore. You know, hijackings don't usually end pleasantly. And, oh, I mean, take it as you will, but it's, it's just sad. It's something to kind of, kind of think about. This guy is, is almost a hero here. I mean, it's, I, I just love the fact that you're lamenting what happens to the days when you could trust an air pirate. God damn it. <laughs> Back in my granddad's day, if an air pirate stole your deal, he would tip you and give you, give you cab fare home. Exactly. You see what you see what I'm saying. Exactly. Uh, I have no idea. I will. I will add one last thing before we jump off. Did you guys hear anything about this uh, Dan Cooper? The name? Uh, I'm not sure. No. What, what did you find? Uh, apparently, there was this Belgian comic book that was made that had a test pilot in it, and the pilot was like he was like Hal Jordan before the Green Lantern, I guess. Uh, and his name was Dan Cooper. Interesting. And, and it was never sold in America. But it was sold in Canada. Huh. So there's a chance maybe he could have found it there, or if he was overseas at some point, he'd have done it. So that was the character. He's a test pilot, a Canadian test pilot in this Belgian comic book. That's it. Oh, except for the, the thing, the contraption that holds the door shut now when you're flying is called the Cooper Van. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Wow. Well, yeah. and, and I'll make one more comment just about uh, his, his intent. Um, other than the bomb that he showed the flight attendant, which who knows if that was actually a bomb or if it was activated or who, or if it was a bunch of flashlights taped together, who knows? But, but he, there was no other evidence or discussion of any kind of weapon on him at all. So I don't no. think he had any intentions of, of there being any violence. No, I think and the I, bomb was fake. I do too. I don't think he had a bomb. I, I think he might've been smart enough to go and, and craft something that, that looked like a real bomb. I don't think it was a real bomb and there was no knife. There was no, there's no guns. There was no, there was nothing like he, 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 he was as laid back as he could possibly be in his demeanor. Uh, it was it was like he was taking a business flight. He was even dressed as a businessman. Yeah. So yeah, 
Yeah, really, really fascinating. So based on my my speculation on this, I'm just going to go ahead and add my two cents here and tell you what I think. Oh, well, hold on, because he mentioned something I wanted to point out. Oh, well, go ahead. He had no knives, no guns and stuff. You know what's funny is he probably could have a knife and gun because the FAA didn't man- didn't require mandatory luggage searches since 1973 because of this and all the copycats that happened mm-hmm. over the next, like, 18 months. Sorry. I just want to throw that out because I Yeah, no, he, he could he could have had tons of weapons on him. Whatever yeah, he wanted to carry. Knuckles, no problem. A mace, some nunchucks. I, I was going to mention nunchucks. Yeah. I mean, that's – okay, let's be real here, guys, for a some second. Chinese Take throwing stars. Yes. Right. These are the most tactical weapons that for concealment that one can have. It's true. Especially in confined places like – you don't you don't want something like a sword that's going to pierce the sides of a plane and take it down. Nunchucks. Nunchucks are number one because you throw them, come back, and get them all in there. Confined spaces mean nothing to them. I feel like that was the obvious yeah. weapon choice. Darn right. Or a rolled up newspaper. That or a rolled up newspaper because you stick a bend on it and it becomes a spear. So there yeah, you go. I, I, I swear I could kill a man with a rolled up magazine or newspaper. Just try me. Yeah, I've seen them in prison. They wet it and they roll it real tight and then when it hardens. You've like seen a them in prison. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you don't watch Lock Up Abroad and stuff? Mm. I mean, golly. Tuffer, were you thinking the same thing I'm thinking? Like, just really? Now we yeah, know the way, the way, yeah, the way he said that, uh, it, it sounded like it was from first-hand prison experience. No, no I, I watch them on the TV. You watch them on the TV? <laughs> yeah. That's why, you, that's why if I'm getting on the plane, I'm going to ask everyone for their magazines so I can have prison armor where you just put the magazines around you and you tape them. So when people try to stab you, they got to go through the paper, too. So they, can't, they can't get deep enough to cut you. I, I want to be. I want to be on a, on an airplane with an eyesight of you as as you're as you're preparing reading material as we're going to the bathroom. And, I'm just like, and, and, and no, all no these one's magazines. questioning you. No one's oh, questioning man. that you're. you're I don't know. My safety level has really gone down oh. since the sharper image went out of business. I'll tell you that. Like oh, Air Mall and sharper image shutting down have really lessened my chances of being able to be prepared oh. yeah, for an but, air pirate but, attack. Apparently, every time Desmond oh. takes a flight, he weaponizes his reading materials. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> Um, I'm, I take I take my security seriously. I don't know why you. I, mean, I don't blame you for that. I, I don't even know what the hell to say to that. I, I don't. I really don't. Oh man, this is my favorite departure of the entire conversation. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm getting my bag. There's gonna be nunchucks and like just telephone books. So I can- all right. <laughs> just really, just really thick magazines. Note to self or note to the NSA who is wow. always listening. I am not part There's of this no conversation. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not supporting this behavior. He's right. he's running solo on this. So they're they're taking this. notes right now, so they can tell their agents. Watch this. Air marshals are going to start taping magazines. You know. I, yeah, don't don't let anybody take their magazines to the bathroom. Yeah, right? I don't, not it's right. over now. That's crazy. I've ruined it for everyone. You'll just have to sit there in silence, playing word with friends. <laughs> Co-host of the Not Historians podcast ruins reading material in the bathroom on flights for everyone. That's it. <laughs> that is going to be the headline. Oh, That's going to be the headline. That would, that would be the headline. <laughs> All right. So, guys, uh, Tofu, you talked about in 2001, or not 2001. Why did I say 2001? 2017. Because that's what year it's in. We are not in the path, allegedly. Um, they found something new this year. What did yes. they find? So apparently, and you had referenced early in the episode, Citizen Sleuths, this website. Yes. So apparently, and they call themselves amateur, I think they refer to themselves as amateur scientists. Although what they discovered was was using a a, uh, a really powerful microscope. So yeah, they I don't, have I don't a know scanning what, electron microscope and like a mass spectrometer, and like right. amateur scientists. $30,000 equipment. Like I right. work at a research facility with like a million dollars single photon, multi-photon. <laughs> and I'm like, no, we, we, we would love to have your equipment <laughs> 
Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to question how amateur they were. That that might be um, underselling it a bit. But anyway, in any case, they took the tie that that he left behind, and they've analyzed it for you know under this microscope, and they've discovered some uh, some particles on the tie that has have allowed them to further speculate and think that they can come to th- allow has allowed them to come to a conclusion that they haven't been able to come to up to this point. Right, and that was that they found traces of certain uh, rare earth metals and material uh, like pure titanium. Hmm. and uh, high-grade aluminum, cerium, and all these kind of things that at the time, in 1971, uh, you were either working at Area 51 or at Bone. Which, guess where Bone's at? Oh. Yeah, and, and see, I keep those materials in my spice rack today, so they're yes, not nearly I as mean, rare anymore. <laughs> they're right next, to the, right next to the cumin and the cinnamon. The right, the, well, everyone knows that the key to a good macaroni is the right amount of technique. Yeah, that's right. So, so, but, but, but that's not, that wasn't the case in 1971. No, no, rare. they had bland macaroni and these were only used in aircraft design like the SR-71 Blackbird. So there you go. I'll bring it full circle for you. Oh, excellent. I'm glad you did. The SR-71 Blackbird, fastest plane in history. That we know uh, of. That, that we know of that moment in time. Okay, going Mach 3.3. Something like, uh, because I know that Project Aurora, the sr Successor is uh, we're going to have an episode on office by the way. Oh, it's coming up. But uh, yes, he had these materials on that just the time. See, but that's what's puzzling, right? He's like, don't you wish you could find just like one more item and see like his glasses because he had sunglasses at one point if they were on there. Yeah, because I'm still convinced the tie is a misdirection. That's all they found of the guy in the entire plane. Or maybe he left it on purpose that's to okay. say to say. Well, no, I'm gonna expand on that. Maybe he left it on purpose to say, look. You're not going to be able to figure this out now, but 70 years from now, your technology will be better. <laughs> He's a time you'll, And you'll understand that I'm for the future. John Titor, <laughs> D.B. Cooper. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I was really excited to read that they had recent developments as recently as just a couple months ago. Uh-huh. And, and then, Desmond, you blew my excitement by saying that you think that he that it was someone else's tie. Well, I'm not saying it was, but I mean, if he just left it there, I mean, you admitted too. Think about it. If he just placed it out in the seat, like the way they made it sound was like he went in the back, was like, do they have a steamer or iron? Made it real nice and presentable, put the tie clip and right. centered it, and then like yep. put it in the middle of the seat and was like, there you go, guys. And then jumped back out the plane and was like, fly. Well, but I mean, jumping with a, a tie, the tie's going to flap around and hit you in the face. Right, but it's it's a clip on tie. He's already stowing all this money. Why can't he stow the tie with it? Well, good point. I That's mean, what I was saying. Is he just takes it off and stuffs it in his pocket? Like who cares? Yeah. It's, it's not it's just to add it to to his person. It's not a big deal. Um, I, I mean, I do think that he left it as a wink. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's not like he jumped out of the plane and was like, "Holy crap! I left my tie behind." Yeah. Y- you know, I, I don't think that's the case. No, no, he uh, definitely I, I did. did. Yeah, I didn't consider the fact that he might have just brought a tie just just to misdirect people that he was never wearing it or it wasn't actually his tie. Hmm. Um, well, that, that's true. With, that would that would that would that would really uh, be a wet blanket on on citizen sleuths because they really think they've stumbled <laughs> well, across. Well, I know. Them. I mean, they were like he was wearing it, and he must have worn it because they were saying citizen sleuths goes on to say that he must have worn it into these processes onto these production floors yeah. for like Boeing or wherever or aircraft manufacturers where they would have had these materials readily available and they would have been being machined or made that the particles could get on there and the size and consistency that they were. Yeah, I'm saying. That somebody had to, not D.B. Cooper. That's all. That's my that's my logical interjection there is. Not, you're saying that they're saying, when I say you, mm-hmm. this is saying, D.B. Cooper wore this tie into the manufacturer plant. I'm saying, no, somebody wore it into the plant. If I was D.B. Cooper's lawyer, he'd get off on the tie. 
Uh, technicality, huh? No, it's not technicality. Prove it's his tie. You tie him to the tie, you win. No tie? No tie tie? No win. So I, I mean, I feel like first we gotta, we've gotta tie him to himself. Okay, that sounds weird. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we've gotta identify who he is. Um, David Carradine. Um, <laughs> That's uh, gonna die, aren't you? Gonna die. That, that's that's a dark and obscure reference you just made. Good <laughs> yeah, thing. I know. Good one, Shalom. <laughs> oh man, uh, thanks. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think that he wore the tie. I mean, I really do. I think I want to believe that he wore the tie. He was he's a member because the entire from the beginning, my thoughts were this guy has way too much knowledge in inside knowledge about things that weren't public. Um, it's not public knowledge that you know that if you if you slow a plane down to a certain speed you're able to jump out of it and it's easier to jump out of. That's not public knowledge. It's not public knowledge that there's uh in the, in midair, you know, you can say, hey, oh, this is a landmark that I recognize is really close to an Air Force base it's here around or here nearby. Okay, that's not common knowledge from the air. You know, there's just too many things here that lead me to believe that it was an in, there was a few things rather. One, it was an inside job, so the so the people involved, the crew involved may have, some of the crew involved may have known something. Secondly, this guy knew the flight pattern. Uh, D.B. Cooper knew the, the, uh, the weight of money and whatnot. He knew to ask for non, non-military grade parachutes and then not take instructions from the parachutes that they gave him because they gave him a dud, one that was obviously right. rigged to not be successful. So, which also says to me, damn, they were going to kill this dude. They, they well, they weren't going to kill him. It was the backup shoot that was a dummy. I mean, but what if he took the backup shoot? Well, I mean, he did. But the point being, that, that, that for me, my thing is this. I get what you're saying. But all of the points to things that I'm going to, I'm, I, if I was his defense lawyer, the tie, this shit would not even, none of this would fly. Because here's the thing. He could have flown on, anyone that's flown on a plane more than three or four times might be able to identify if they were in the Air Force, that base. Okay. If you live in the area, you can probably identify it if you've it's been fair. on a plane. So I'm not I'm not terribly shaken about that. I think his knowledge of the aircraft is telling. That that also points back for me for somebody in the manufacturing. That does kind of make the tie. That's all circumstantial still, but I think together it points that this dude knew aircraft or new flying. One of the Yeah, other. how many how many passengers would know how to drop the stairs? Right. Exactly. Good point. How not many, many. No, I mean, how many just general people would know how? Not right. let's go out of 36. And the other thing is then also being able to identify the things in the sky, then also having a tie that has these materials on. Mm-hmm. Circumstantially, it definitely points to you should be looking for somebody that knows their way around an aircraft. Right. But could it just be an aircraft mechanic or a steward no, or a pilot? So. Or does it have to, or was it someone in the military? There's I, tons of options, I think. I think it's an Air Force uh, Air Force guy. I think it's probably uh, either a major or somebody like a second lieutenant, Butterbar's lieutenant or something like that. Why, why makes you say, why, why, why are you going with specific ranks? Like Because, well, so one, I, I feel like, and this is my personal opinion uh, in regards to... Do Air Force do a lot of jumps? That's my other question, I guess. Uh, well, there, there is an Air Force unit that jumps. I mean, I know they have pararescue men, but I don't know if they... If they they have recovery teams and stuff, but do they do they jump like as training? Like I know, yeah, I like mean, Rangers jump. Well, yeah, there's definitely something uh, units that actually jump, but I think it's mostly an enlisted game. 
Um, right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like you might you might have like a first sergeant or something with you. I get you. I don't know about first sergeant, but um, well, it's because you're talking about the air force. So. I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, he, he was in his mid forties. So well, it, that's true. And that would right, put him so, like Korea. Like I said, Korean War, end of World War Two. If he was in the army as a young man. So, so Shalom, I wanted to ask you to expand on something. Did you say that you thought it was an inside job? I did. Expand on that. So, I, I think that there was more to this. I think that D.B. Cooper himself was incredibly intelligent, uh, very articulate, and understood the uh, the mechanics of the situation. But I felt like there was so much limited, like, just encounters from, from people. I mean, even today, in today's society... Let's just take out um, 80% of the security measures that we have currently and say that that's the normal. And, and, I, and I'm not sure that that's the case, but let's say that that's the norm for back then. Um, you're going to encounter somebody who's going to think this is a little out of the ordinary. Or, or maybe you won't because this is the time frame. But I think that maybe one of the pilots, like the pilot or the co-pilot, was also involved somehow. I don't think the stewardess was um, at all. I don't think she was involved at all, but I do think that maybe one of the pilot or the co-pilot was involved um, and kind of set up some things to to make it to where it was it was easier for him. It would explain his demeanor from the entire begin the from the beginning to end. It would explain his uh, D.B. Cooper's demeanor about how he never really had this uh, mindset of I'm going to get caught. And if he had, I think there would have been a few more precautions that he might have taken, like uh, making sure that there were some, there were significantly more hostages on the plane. You know, maybe like four or five more hostages to remain on the plane with him. Well, you just than, keep hostages. Need more hostages. Keep some of the hostages. Oh, right. That, that's what I mean. I apologize. But you know, he didn't. He didn't keep hostages at all. He kept minimal crew, and. When they ask if he wanted any assistance, he says, no, I'm good. Thank you. And jumps off the plane. You know, I, I think, and then nobody thought to go back there and look to make sure that he jumped off the plane because he sent them all to the front of the plane, even the stewardess to the cockpit and told them not to come out. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. And I feel like he didn't tell them not to come out. He asked them not to come out. I mean, this entire situation was right. Weird. But if he comes out and he has the bomb. Yeah, I mean, true. They're not going to risk it. But at the same time, this guy is, uh, I mean, it just seems too well prepared. I mean, he seemed well prepared. Um, I mean, it, it, he he seemed well prepared. It seemed like he knew exactly the, the flight that he was going to be on. There just seemed too much knowledge, too much pre-knowledge there to say that there wasn't someone else involved, in my opinion. Uh, now, I could be wrong, but I do think he successfully got away with it. Um, I think that he actually landed the jump and I think he got away. I think there was probably someone on the ground waiting for him. And they, the, when he actually landed, they, uh, have, I've seen movies with parachutes or pararescues that have gone wrong where you're stuck in a tree. So you've got to get, you've got to cut yourself down from a tree and then get down from the tree and then go, go on about your day. He had adequate time to do so, but at the same time, he would have also wanted to recover his shoot yeah, and all that material. Yeah, the tree. You got to right. recover all that. I don't think you do that. And I, that's why I think that there was help on the plane and there was help on the ground. Wow. Um, I mean, it just so, seems- so in so in 1971, with no cell phones or any kind of GPS or anything, he'd have to be pretty precise yeah. for someone to meet him. Uh, well, you know, on the ground in the pitch dark, in the rain. Yeah, in the pitch dark and the rain. Well, in but the we've already but we've already kind of talked about how. 
how his knowledge of oh this looks like we're we're over this we're about twenty miles but from in this the dark location. but in the dark uh, pitch black night he doesn't he can't look down and be like oh we're over this true but yeah he because he said like hey there's an air force base there's Tacoma Washington he yeah. didn't say there's such and such Latin longs like it wasn't a very specific he wasn't he wasn't identifying very specific things that's fair I, and once you once you hit the ground how do you how do you get like you're not going to get within a hundred yards of the person you're trying to meet up with. How do you meet up with somebody on the ground? I'm not discounting because I think yeah. you're kind of onto something. I'm just kind of breaking it down the details of the challenges he would have had to have yeah, overcome. Like, what, how do you I'm get at. in touch? How do you get in touch with a person on the ground in 1971 after you've made a parachute jump in the rain, in the dark, in the cold, in in that in that in that terrain? Well, radio communication, walkie-talkies. Um, yeah, you'd have to, he, I mean, he'd have, you'd have to set it up and give him the ground. I think I'll give you this. There is a way that you can communicate this way. We've done it for centuries. A flashlight. If you have a torch, if the guy he's waiting on has a hand torch and can signal him, he knows where to go. And that's fair. I mean, the lighthouse tech, uh, thought process, their technology. Yeah, but I, wanna, I also want to. I also want to touch on something here that I think is important to mention. When uh, I have a bit of knowledge regarding, you know, Air Force and how how pilots and navigators take the training. You are, um, and there's training. You're, you're taught to learn. Uh, you're taught to trust the instruments, so you you know what you're doing. You also have to use a, a like a flight computer to plot your your uh, your flight plan. So I mean, if you have these skills, these are skills that don't go away. But those skills combined with jumping, like this is my problem for your Air Force idea. I you know how many men in the Air Force are trained both as master jumpers or competent jumpers and pilots. Okay, that's fair. Like that, uh, about, that, the same, that, that, uh, about the same as that um, are trained for both a lawyer and uh, a pilot. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Is like he, how would he have jumped? I don't think he would have the skills to jump and the deal. I think it, my my thing was maybe maybe he's maybe he's been on both. I think and not Topher. I'm sorry if you had something else to add. I just want to inject here and see which one takes place. I think he was in the military. He had jumped. He had spent time on planes. Maybe like uh, C-130s, some Hercules. And then got into the aircraft field and maybe was even working on the inside. Maybe he was working at Northwest. Maybe that's possible. And he was actually like a mid-level executive that was pissed off when he got fired. And he would have known all about the planes, all about their flight class, all about their crews, all about their procedures to handle this sort of thing. And had the abilities to pull it off. Yeah, I think if he was in his mid-40s, he definitely had time to have had a military and a, you know, some sort of post-military career that would have gained both skills. So, so are either one of you saying that you don't think that the recent conclusion or speculation by Citizen Sleuths has any merit that he was either working for Boeing or someone or a vendor for Boeing? Well, my point is, if he works for North, if he works for Northwest, he could have gone in those same plants to see their planes too. Right, they were okay, buying so- from Boeing, so I think it's possible. I mean, in the end, my end game is this: well, I think when he jumped, I think he's probably in one of those lakes. You think he landed in? You think he landed in water? I don't think he made it. I think he landed. In, in one of those big bodies out there. I mean, they're not huge, but if you hit one in a parachute in the rain, I don't see with 20 extra pounds strapped to you in that harness. I don't, I don't see how you swim your way out of that. That's something so that think, he couldn't have prepared for. So you think he died? Yeah, I think his skeleton and, and, and 200 grand-ish is in the bottom of the lake. But how, but how do you not... How would you not... He's got a lot of stuff that could, that's recoverable. How do you not yeah. find a parachutes or... Like well, nothing. they also dredged it not too far. Over. I'm like, if they dredged it and didn't come up with anything, then they buried it. I mean, like, I'm not saying that's a perfect deal. Like, this is the best I got. Yeah. And in my mind, 
the answer is you we've never found another bill. No one's ever spotted somebody or turned him in. And people were like, oh, it was my uncle. He bought this house. All that money would have had to gone directly to banks. Like all these things that people say, oh, well, he had a Ferrari afterwards or he, he bought a farm or what. That money had to go to banks. If he paid with the D.B. Cooper money, it would have been seen. Yeah. Okay, so so Desmond, you're saying he died. Yeah. Shalom, you're saying he survived. I, I am, and I do think that he did work for, for, for Boeing. I think that he had... I, I I think that the citizen salutes are onto something, um, but I want to hear what you think, Telfer. Yes, really do. The, you're the guest. You're going to be the one we all agree with. So please, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that because here's what happens when we have guests or we're on other people's shows. We all say something we think is smart, and then they say something really obvious, and then we go home and feel dumb and drink. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not I, I'm not capable of making you feel dumb. That's for sure. But but I I think mine my, my answer is. I want to. I want to think because it's more romantic. I want to think that he survived. It's it's a much much better story. I don't have an answer for for why they didn't why none of the money has been discovered in circulation. So I, because I'm a fan of the story, I want I want to think my opinion is that he survived and somehow he pulled it off. And you know, he's he's so smart and thought of so many other details. Then then surely he can figure out how to how to use the money. Like why would you why would why would the main point of the hijack be to get cash and then not have a plan of how to use the cash that that would seem kind of silly. Uh, so, so I, I want to believe he, he made it. I, I think, I think I, my real opinion though, is that he didn't make it because, because of the rain and the darkness and the, just the overall general conditions and the fact that they, and I do think it's possible that he could have ended up in some place where this, especially in water, you wouldn't have recovered anything. So boy, if I'm being pressed, I don't. I, I don't know. I'm going to stick with my hopes, and I'm going to say that that he's a really smart guy. He thought of everything. He he knew the time and the weather, and I'm going to I'm going to say that he made it, and he and he figured out how to use the cash, and he headed off into the sunset. Topher, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I, I I have to admit that I did not think about this while you were saying it. You made perfect. The guy thought out everything. I think Wishalom's wrong in the he had a four billion friends and walkie talkies <laughs> in his ass, and he pulled them out when they landed, and but. The guy did have a real he every step of the way he knew what he was doing. I mean, even the, the even the aircraft, the seven twenty seven one hundred. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, he, he had he had to have known what you said. I'm either gonna somehow where I'm gonna land, it's gonna be hostile, right? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be water. It's gonna be for it's gonna be something that I'm not landing in the middle of a, of a cornfield, you know, where it's where I'm just gonna land softly down the ground. Yeah. He knew where he was jumping, you know, so he had to have been. Now the guy's freaking wearing a suit and a trench coat, so I don't know what, that that's. That, Maybe James Bond didn't have like a wetsuit underneath. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. That's a crazy detail to the story, but I'm, but I'm like, he thought of every other detail. How did he not? How did he not? Like he knew where he was landing. He, he it, like he didn't fly from Reno to Phoenix. You know. He, right. But see, that, 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 that's the thing. Is like he only jumped if they're right by the pressure gauge and stuff. About four minutes out, so it's not impossible. Like you were saying, Shul, the giving the course heading when they took off the ground, looking, he would have had a general idea, like Topher saying. And could have known the area. And of course, yeah, you're right. He would have known he was landing in a watery, wooded area. Of course. But that's there's, but there's no him. way to right. – there's, there's just accepting that risk doesn't mitigate it. Yeah, the, the, the one thing that's worth a little more debate, and we don't have to do it because no. we've covered yeah, it, but, yeah. but, but uh, is, is if there were one or more people involved with him, if he had collaborators. And uh, and I, I think mm. I could be convinced of – I don't think there's a giant team of people, but was no. there one or two other people? Quite possibly, but yeah, you know, so. the, the way the way the story, the way the legend unfolds, it, it, you know, they they never talk about other people. That, that yeah. has never been discussed, as far as I'm aware, as is co-conspirators. I like it, the it's, idea. Yeah, it's it's always been presented as this is this this solo mastermind. That, and I think and that's that makes the way it has to be. 
I'm sorry. Yeah, it's yeah, that, that makes it a better story. But but um, man, if, Shalom, if you're trying to convince anybody that there's at least one or two other people, that's not a hard sell at all. In my but opinion. I think I think if you do, you have to look for people that were murdered there afterwards or died strangely afterwards. Because I subscribe to the theory of two people can keep a secret if one of them's dead. I agree. I agree with that. I so, totally agree. And I agree with that too. He had a plan to spend the money, and I'll like the Brinks hijacking. Not to get totally sidetracked, but you guys have all seen Goodfellas and stuff. Yep. Like, what happens when you have too many people in? It's not everyone follows the plan exactly. Right. DB Cooper is the kind of guy that, like, this plan is very down the line. There is no deviation from this plan. I feel like if he brought somebody else in, they would also have to be the same kind of OCD yeah. that he is, or else he would have rather not had them. Or, yeah, because that, that's way too many variables. Or he would have been like, you have to specifically do this and this with the money. I mean, we don't know what the money, what he wanted for. Maybe he knows some old coot that was going to like sell him a gold mine or something. I don't know. But my point is that whatever plan he had for the money, he may not have had for the other dude's money. Because he's splitting, obviously, unless you just tell your friend, I'm going to go camping. Which, let's be honest, DB's a mastermind. So he may have said, I'm going camping, pick me up the next morning, and then camp the night out. Because he knows they're not going to find him that night. Nope. And if he doesn't light a fire and just, you know, manages to use the tarp and stuff to stay warm, pick him up the next morning. What are you doing? Camping. Yeah. That's it. He puts all his clothes in the thing. Yes. Yeah, so wears the so, trench coat so, over it. So, Shalom, what do you say? What do you say to all that of, of kind of um, <sighs> suggesting that he, it really was a solo effort? You know, I feel like it, it, I agree with both of you when you say that it would it romanticize the story more to say that it was a solo job. I think that it's more accurate and, and just let me rephrase. I don't, I don't want to say that it's more accurate because I don't know, but I think that it's, it's for me, it's more believable that there were two other people involved, at least, at least another person involved in this, uh, in this process. But uh, how do you keep that person from not talking? Well, blowing something. Yeah. And that's, and that's another question. You know, how do you, one, you kill them, which I mean, I guess, okay, fine. But you know, one thing, another way is to maybe the person was family. Maybe the other person was family. The other people involved were family somehow because we don't know who this guy is um, based on the speculation that we have so far with uh, one with Citizen Sleuth and two with us knowing what, what the, the thought process from the beginning is that he's got to be involved. Somehow he has prior knowledge of the plane, the mechanics of the plane. Um, it seems to me that he would he wouldn't have been in this all, all on his own. I mean, he seemed way too calm on the plane. I mean, almost like this was an Ocean's Eleven type job. Uh, way too calm on the plane. Way too calm with the jump. And it's not, and I hate to admit this, but it's really not that difficult to launder money. It's not. But the problem is that laundering money just means that you mix your money through a different source. It, means, it doesn't mean the money disappears. True. And it's not marked bills. Like, you're just taking money from an illicit gain and mixing it with legal gains and then coming out the other side with all legal gains. Yes, he could do this, but the problem is, even then, they're looking for those specific serial numbers. This is what I go back to on the money. The money not surfacing bothers me the most of all because there is no way that money comes into the U.S. and doesn't end up in a reserve. Not one bill out of 10000 So that's an interesting point. Uh, and it is $1.2 million. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot I of mean, money. it's a lot of money, but my thing is it's a lot of bills, 10000 bills, and not one of them. Mm-hmm. Shows up, and if, let's say, then the money that was found by uh, Brian Ingram, the kid, in 80, where did that come from? Like, he just buried six grand and left it? 
just in case. I mean, I can understand that, but why then is there no other money? Like, this is a guy that buries money like a pirate. Well, he is a pirate, uh, but yeah. he's an air pirate. I get it. So he buried his money. So did he just hide the rest, like, in the walls of his house? Uh, possibly. Man. I mean, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Who who buried the $5,800? You know, I, I I don't know. Maybe he maybe he did. Maybe that, maybe he buried that money. And you know what? What he left? This is the same guy who left the the, the tie on the plane. So maybe he did. That this is a good, I did not think about that. Shalom, that is a good damn point. He may have thrown that little bit of money off just to throw him off the right track. Right. I mean, it's a possibility. He could have thrown it in the water to make him think he he fell in the water. Well, and and did they say that it wasn't like buried like someone dug a hole? Wasn't it? Didn't it wash up somewhere and get kind of well, naturally there's theories covered there. over? They're they're debating on whether or not it could have got dug up and then or washed up and then buried. Naturally, or whether or not it was man-made buried. And where it is is like the mouth of a stream or something. So it's not real. I looked at it on Google Maps, and it is kind of hard to tell, like, if it could be pushed up from one of the other bodies of water or if you would just bury something there. Yeah, well, I mean, it was discovered nine years later. Yeah. And then the dredging also happened in that area. So it's possible that the dredging could have uncovered something and or moved something. Yeah. Well, so I think it would be interesting to see if there are any bodies that have been found in any of those bodies of water here oh, uh, I mean, lately. Then, oh, not lately. It's like here. Lake Meredith, man. Like, that's our local lake. They don't drain it. Like, it's not like a place you go just drain. Well, right, but bodies float. Not if he got tangled. And oh, he's well, weighed down true. by 20, an extra whatever pounds of gear and money. I think it, I think it's worth, you know, I think it's worth looking into. Like, I mean, we studied the Titanic. And we, we actually went down and, yeah, and found it. Yeah, we little rogue. Uh, I mean, we really should send somebody, somebody after D.B. Cooper, I think, to see if that's the case. We should get our scuba license and go down there. You know, I was working on that at one point in time. That just well, now scary. you, you've elected yourself. You're the official, <laughs> not historian, scuba diver. I like that. But don't forget, to answer your question, I feel like the, this was an inside job. I feel like there was either two or three people involved. And I think he made it. I think they all made it. Um, I think they all made it. And as far as the story for the money, why, why the money hasn't resurfaced? Well, you know, I, I don't have anything for that yet. I really don't. I mean, I, I wish I had a real solid solution for that, for the, where's the money? So I guess I'm outnumbered then. Cause you guys are both saying he survived. You said he survived. He said he wants him to survive. He's going to go with that because he, I, I really think he's in, in, in a tree or in some. <laughs> Or in the he's in, in a, a tree. He's in a tree or in some lake. I mean, the well, the thing is this: like they searched that area really well, and they pulled that national guardsman, and they walked it. Now, I I was a state guardsman. You know, like when we have like space shuttle explosions and stuff, they call up state guard, and you do walk a line and everything, and you have to look for body parts and debris and stuff. I get that. I'm just saying. <laughs> How do you not di- how do you not discover a deployed parachute? Well, the problem right. is like I I I don't know what the what the terrain's like because the thing is, you know, if it's high in a tree or if it's deep in a lake, you're saying it, it's one color enough. But if he hit it and like rolled, it's brown now. I don't care if it was neon orange. Yeah, yeah that's true. Like it doesn't. It, it could very easily. The other thing is, I don't know what kind of animals they have there that time of year. So it's possible that scavengers find it. Pull it all into a cave or something. I don't know. But yeah. there's, there, I can come up with like a dozen possible reasons 
why you don't find a body. Yeah, I'm just going to rely on the fact that he's thought of every possible detail. Yeah, I know. Like, he landed with Bear Mace. I agree. And he jumped with the the briefcase. And he jumped jumped knowing where he was going. See, that's the other thing. Like, you're talking about how did he not float? He also had a bomb with a briefcase. Maybe he landed in the water and the bomb exploded and evaporated everything. And then that's where... That's not how bombs work. <laughs> no, but in water, they're way more deadly for short range. Uh, I don't know. I don't either. Topher, so final thoughts from you, my friend. What do you think? My, my final thoughts is the more the more we've talked about our conclusions and speculations <laughs> or, or that or that he did he did make it. And, and oh. I I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna even go out on a limb and say it was a solo effort. Okay. Uh, oh. I I, th- I think it's very likely that he had some other people, but my my personal opinion is that he survived. It was a solo effort, and it went exactly the way. The way he expected he it to. Every, he planned every bit of it. I, I'll agree no. with that part. So, so all right, Desmond. What, what do you think? Final thoughts. I think he landed in the. I think he landed some bad terrain. I don't think he got out. You don't think he got out? If he, he did, it. I agree with Topher completely. I think he no, no. One. You have to pick a side. If no, no. I'm saying <laughs> I, my my opinion is that he died. Okay. However, if I was to, if he were not if he were to be found, I would say that it happened the way that Topher has presented it, which is it's one man meticulously planned mastermind operation that he he knew exactly what he was jumping into like there was a he indiana jones that shit and there was a pontoon boat when he landed okay all right this one thing i do like is that we all we all feel very strongly and, and genuinely that we have three different opinions it may, it's perfect for it's perfect for a twitter poll by the way yeah well it will be after the episode comes out most likely because i i will be butthurt about this for quite a while my man uh, i'll be real honest because i came into like i told you i came in here quite certain and i was like db cooper is dead in the lake and there's no way that anybody can deny it because the money never came up and then you were like but what if he had a plan i'm like how do you just disappear a million dollars? And you're like, he had a plan for everything else. I'm like, that is a really good point. Like, the man did scroll. It was like, I know how to counter snipers. I think he could have avoided some damn trees. Right. So like, <laughs> like, yes. So all of those other details, he's like, oh, no, there's trees and water down there. <laughs> right. Now what about right. No, I get that. Uh, I, I think for history-wise, for the show-wise, what gets me is that it's modern history, but it keeps developing. Yeah. Like, it fades away and comes back. And yeah. I think sometimes we forget the things that we think – or just 10 year ago stuff or five years ago stuff can still be brought up and be as relevant. And like this case is super relevant because it's the heart of where like terrorism, especially air terrorism, piracy, whatever you want to call it in the U S really started. I mean, before there had been small hijackings and ransom, this is the first mastermind large scale. We don't have a clue how the fuck somebody did this thing. Yeah. If there was just a wave of DB Cooper crimes, which there was, you'd be screwed. Luckily we developed. I guess one of my last comments would be um, each of us have done a really excellent job of, of presenting our case yeah. and, and, and supporting our own opinion. And I really do think that each of our opinions or, or speculations are equally as likely. Any, oh. any three of us could be right. Any, any three of us because there's only three of us. Ah, excellent. Logic. Any excellent. of the three of us? Oh. I was with you, you on beat that. Me. I was with you on that. Well, like, we'll do huh? a second Twitter poll if it was – <laughs> and I'll, okay that, that's not the last thing I'm going to say the other thing I'm going to say is I'm going to clear up something I said much earlier in the episode which is for some reason I said that Alice Cooper was an actress that appeared on, on the Brady Bunch that was completely what was that? I don't even know what I was talking about the oh. actress's name that played that played the, the housekeeper was Ann B. Davis Florence oh. Henderson of course was the actress that played the mother I have no idea where I came up with Alice Cooper, so there's no way I was going to. Well, let this Alice Cooper was a musician. Well, I know that too. So I, I, I just I, there's no way I'm letting this episode end with the with pe- the listeners thinking that I think that Alice Cooper was an actress. It, it, it's okay. Fun. 
I'll tell you this right now. When I said Florence Henderson was on the Brady Bunch, that was a 50-50 shot because my Brady Bunch <laughs> knowledge is not where it should be. So I was like, oh, that's the show she was on, right? I really hope so. All right. So, that, so that's that's my final comment. All right. So, Topher, tell us about your, uh, your podcast again. Just give us a shout out. Let us know where you're at. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, the name of the show is Gravity Beard Podcast. It is an interview and discussion show. Which actually makes it sound really boring, but you guys have listened. I don't think it's boring at all. No, not at all. Like he he is really skilled at the art of the interview, Indeed. and then at getting a story out of people and finding what's really interesting. Like I've listened to it and I was like, oh no, it's interviews. I'm not to be rude, but that's what I, know, I thought. I get, I get it. I and get then it. listening to it, I was like, wow, this guy really found the story because it starts out conversational, and then he found what the heart of the matter was, yeah. and he pulled that common thread. And I I listened to it. I think the episode I listened to was maybe thirty minutes. And it yeah, felt, and most it, of them are, yeah. It felt like an hour, not in a bad way. Like I felt like I got that much <laughs> out of it. It drug on for days. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. But it was like a really good thing, which like you go through and you're like, oh god. It's like when you, well, you do dating on your show. It's when you date somebody and you feel like you're five years older, but it's only been two months. Yeah, that's yeah, a yeah, rough no, thing. That, yeah, thank, or, thank or you. Or you are, get along. One or the other, my man, both ways. <laughs> Well, well th- thank you. That was, that, was a, that was a good way of describing the show, and I appreciate those compliments. You can find the show. I'm, I'm on Twitter at the Gravity Beard. Uh, you can reach out to us by uh, email at, at uh, contactthebeard at gmail.com. And, of course, we're on iTunes, and uh, we're, we're hosted at Podbean. So anywhere else you find podcasts, you can find our show. For sure, and they'll be in the show notes. I always include our guest in the show notes. Cool, and thanks. And we'll be linking and mentioning him on Twitter, so you can find him there too. Excellent. Well, th- this I, I do want to say this. This was a blast. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you for uh, I, 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 I haven't gotten to do a ton of guest spots, but the one that the ones that I have done, <laughs> I've gotten really lucky on the on the subject matter. I, it, thank you so much for letting me discuss DB Cooper. It couldn't be a more fascinating story, uh, and so I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show and uh, regaling us with your knowledge as well. There will be a Twitter poll, by the way, because of this show. I yes, think. there will be a Twitter uh, this poll. Sh- this show will be coming out in a few days, so you guys just watch. We'll see. The the fans will know when it comes out because it comes straight to their phone. Uh, well, that's but right. You guys will know when I tell you, and then you'll see a Twitter poll following it. Well, I'll give it six hours so people can start. Oh, and I think we should maybe not tell who's who's. Oh no, they'll have to listen to the show to hear the actual argument, so they'll know. What a great idea! Yeah. So anyway, guys, uh, it's been Desmond and Shalom and Topher, and we'll catch you next time. Well, two of us will. We'll let you figure out which ones.